Well, we've come to the end. So this morning we're, we're concluding our study through the book of Ephesians. Uh, so, so this is the end. Uh, if, if you weren't here last week, just a reminder, next week, starting next week, throughout the rest of the summer, we're going to begin a series on encounters with Jesus. And so every Sunday we're going to look at a, a different in, encounter that Jesus has with um, with other people. So we'll look at John the Baptist and his, his temptation in the wilderness with, with Satan and with other disciples, with Lazarus. So we'll just look at encounters between Jesus and others. So that'll be the, the rest of the summer that we'll look at that. Um, but this morning, as I said, we're concluding our letter to the Ephesians. If you haven't been keeping count, this is the 22nd sermon on the book of Ephesians, which is what pales in comparison to what some pastors do. So consider yourself blessed that it's only been 22. Um, so, but but this, this morning what we'll see is Paul's last word. So, so we're only going to look at verses 21 through 24 of chapter 6. So, so just these last four verses of this letter. And we're going to see his last words. And, and in these last words, Paul's closing, his, his conclusion, his benediction. As we see, as we look through these four verses, we're going to see a bit of Paul's heart for this church, for the Christians there in Ephesus. And as we see these past, last four verses, he, he's expressing his concern for them and his desire is to encourage them, which he'll encourage them, and he'll also bless them in this closing. And so these are Paul's last words to the church at Ephesus in this letter. So, so if you're there, you can follow along. I'm going to just read verses 21 through 24 of Ephesians chapter 6. So Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 21, Paul writes, So that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray this morning. Lord, this is, this is your word, and so even in these few verses at the end of this letter to the church at Ephesus, Lord, my desire, our desire is to hear from you, to be encouraged by your word, to have our hearts and minds opened to the truths and the beauties of your word and transformed by this word. And so we pray that you would change us through the hearing and understanding of this, your word. We're thankful for your word, and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so there's just there's two points. Our outline, it's, it's very, very basic. So in verses 21 through 22, we see the beloved brother. So, so Paul introduces this character who's not so well known, but this, this beloved brother. And then second in verses 23 through 24, the, the final blessings, the benediction is, is how he closes. And so those are, those are the two points we're going to work through. So let's begin first by looking there, verses 21 and 22, the beloved brother. And so there in verse 21, we're introduced to a man named Tychicus. Okay, Tychicus, not, not a common name, right? If, if you're having a child soon, I wouldn't recommend that name for your son or daughter, right? Not a common name, but, but this name, this man who bore this name was familiar to Paul in his ministry. And so you've probably heard Tychicus, you've come across it before, and, and this is not the only place, Ephesians 6 is not the only place where he turns up. He's, he, he's mentioned a handful of times in Paul's other letters. So in Acts chapter 20, it's recorded that, that Tychicus is from the region of Asia, so, so Paul in Acts 20 mentions all these people that partnered with him, and Tychicus from Asia was one of his partners. And so Ephesus being in Asia probably, probably means that, that Tychicus was from Ephesus. 
Okay, probably means that, that Tychicus met Paul during one of his, his journeys, probably second missionary journey. He's going through Ephesus, and he probably is introduced to Tychicus there. And, and what, what, what appears to have happened is as Paul, remember he's, his final missionary journey is to Rome. He's in chains, his final journey. And so he's going to Rome, and apparently when he got there, he sent for Tychicus to come be with him, to be one of his companions, to help him. And so Paul calls Tychicus to, to come be with him at Rome. Well, as he's writing this letter, again, Paul is under, under house arrest, so he's in chains as he's writing this letter to the Ephesians, and he's, remember, he, he's awaiting his, his appearance before Caesar. That's, that's, that's his whole trip to Rome. He wants to appeal to the highest power so that he can share the gospel with the highest power. He wants the gospel to spread. And so during his imprisonment, Tychicus apparently comes to help him, and, and that's why Paul, having written the letter to the Ephesians, is sending the letter by the hands of Tychicus. And so that's, that's, where, that's how he comes in. Now, now uh, a couple other times Tychicus is mentioned is in Titus chapter 3. So again, these instances are after our instance here. And in, so in Titus chapter 3, Paul says that he tells Titus, hey, I'm going to send either Artemis or Tychicus to you, which appears to be a, a secession plan. So, so it's Artemis or Tychicus. We don't know who eventually went, but, but we know that Tychicus was someone that Paul would consider worthy of of taking over the mantle of Titus when he left the church there in Crete. And then lastly, in 2 Timothy 4, Paul tells Timothy that he has sent Tychicus to Ephesus again. Okay, so, so Ephesus and Tychicus have this relationship. This man uh, apparently was from there and had a relationship with them, but he was Paul's co-worker, co-laborer. So, so notice there in verse 21 why Paul sends Tychicus to Ephesus. Verse 21, Paul says, So that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Verse 22, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And so Paul commissions Tychicus to take this letter to the church at Ephesus. He's a trusted companion who who not only will deliver the letter, but notice he's also going to tell them everything. And so there's things that Paul wants them to know about how he's doing in his, his circumstances that he's not going to write in the letter. So he says, hey, Tychicus, take this letter, and then you tell them everything. Tell them how we're doing. Tell them what I'm eating. Tell, tell them how I'm spending my time. He, he says, Tychicus is going to come to you, and he's going to tell you everything. I mean, you can't imagine the, the state of the church there at Ephesus. Their, their, their beloved apostle is in chains in Rome, and they, don't, they haven't heard from him. So they don't know, how's, it, how's he doing? Has he, does he still have his head attached to his shoulders? Right? Well, what's going on with, with Paul? And so Paul wants Tychicus to go and tell them everything. I'm doing well. Things are going well here. Don't, don't worry about me. You guys keep worrying about where you are. And so he sends Tychicus to the Ephesians with this letter in the church to tell them about what's going on. But notice also the purpose there in verse 22. Verse 22 ends that, he may, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts, which tells us a little bit about the purpose of the letter, but also a little bit about Tychicus himself. Paul sends him, not just as, as just this, this delivery man, right? He wants him to encourage their hearts. He, he views Tychicus as a beloved brother, a faithful minister who can pastorally care for this church that Paul loves so dearly. And so, so Paul appoints Tychicus because he knows he's capable of ministering to this church in his stead. Of course, Paul would love to go to Ephesus. He can't. And so he sends Tychicus in his place. Someone who he says in verse 21 is a beloved brother, a faithful minister in the Lord. So he's not just, he's not just a, a, a messenger boy, right? He is a co-laborer with the Apostle Paul. Now what's fascinating about these verses 
um, is that the verses 21 and 22 here in Ephesians are almost identically mentioned in, the, in Colossians 4, verses 7 and 8. So it's almost, almost like it was a copy and paste, right? So, so Paul, what appears to have happened is that Tychicus, that Paul in, in Rome, as he's in chains, he's writing a letter to the church at Ephesus and a, church to, and a letter to the church at Colossae. And Tychicus is going to be the, the, the person that delivers and visits both of these churches. And so in writing two of the most well-known letters, right, Colossians and Ephesians, Paul can't, can't go to the UPS store and pay extra for overnight delivery. He can't, he can't track it. He doesn't get a tracking number, right? He has to do it himself. And so he sends Tychicus because he knows that this is a faithful brother who will deliver these letters to their respective destinations. And so some people say the letter to Philemon was also included in this, in this delivery. But, but nonetheless, Tychicus is the one who, who delivers these letters. And so I, I think it's fair, enough, fair to say that without Tychicus, we don't have the letter to the Ephesians that we're able to read and benefit from. Right? Tychicus was the, the means by which Paul delivered this letter. And we, in turn, have it. And so here, after these first two verses, I think one point of application, as, as we look at Tychicus... I think it tells us that something that we should recognize and, and remember is that faithfulness is greater than human recognition. And so this was a faithful brother. He served his purpose. Now, this certainly wouldn't have been the case in Ephesus. Tychicus would have been known right there in the church. But throughout the ages of church history, I'm, I'm certain that this faithful brother Tychicus has not gotten the press or recognition that he deserves. I mean, how many of you never heard the name before today? You don't have to raise your hand. Right? But, but Tychicus was a, a key part of Paul's ministry and the, the writing and, and the sustaining of the New Testament. And so part of what I think we should recognize simply that Tychicus was a faithful minister and certainly approved by God. Whether he was known by others or not, God used Tychicus and we should thank God for him. But the lack of notoriety or fame for this faithful servant throughout church history doesn't deter from his significance or his faithfulness. He was faithful in what he was called to. He was sent on a mission, and the completion of his mission enabled us to read and hear some of the most precious verses in the entire Bible. I mean, think about Ephesians 2. But you were dead. You were dead in sins, but God made you alive. These are, are able to be read by us in part... Obviously, because of the providence of God and God overseeing the delivery, but Tychicus, he actually carried it to the place where it was going. And so faithfulness must always be the desire of the Christian. Faithfulness is our aim. It's not notoriety. It's not, it's not fame. Faithfulness. Faithfulness must always be the desire of the Christian, especially the Christian minister. So anyone who's desiring to go into full-time ministry, faithfulness is always your friend, is always your goal. And notoriety will always be your enemy. Faithfulness without fame is far better and greatly to be desired over fame at the cost of unfaithfulness. Faithfulness without fame is far better and greatly to be desired over fame at the cost of unfaithfulness. So, so we as Christians are called to be faithful. Second, second point of application here is that the Christian heart finds way to encourage others. I think we see here Paul. You see his heart. He wants to encourage I think we can be encouraged by Paul's desire to encourage. I mean, if there, if there was ever a time where the Apostle Paul could just say, hey, I'm tired of encouraging others. I've been on this long trip, this journey. I'm just sitting here in prison waiting. I can't, can someone just come encourage me, please? And if there ever was a time 
this was it. Paul could have said that. He's unable to minister or visit all those churches that he planted and cared for. He can't go see how, how his, his co-laborers are doing. He's stuck there. But as he's stuck there, Paul is unable to neglect his concern for the Ephesians. He must encourage them. He's got to send a messenger to them so that they know. He knows they're worried about him. He says, I, w- I don't want you to be worried. I want to encourage you. And so he writes this letter and sends one of his most faithful co-labors. He can't bear the thought of this church, these Christians, his brothers and sisters, being discouraged. And so he sends Tychicus with the letter. And, and the main way I think we ought to seek to apply this truth is, is, is first to recognize, as Christians, we're called to encourage others. We're called to encourage other brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's, that's our purpose. And one way that we can seek to do that is identifying excuses as to why we don't do that. And so how, how have you sought to encourage a brother or sister this week? What have you done? I mean, I mean, if you're part of this church family, there are plenty of discouraged people among us. Plenty that we know of and, and probably plenty more that we don't know of. And so what have you done to, dis, to, to encourage them this week? Maybe you say, well, I, I don't know many other members here. Well, ask them. Ask them, have my permission. Get to know them. Maybe this will be the Sunday you, you talk who are you? I'm sorry, I should know you by now. I'm sorry, I don't. But who are you? How, how, how are you doing? What? Tell me your story. Right? Or maybe say, I'm too old. I'm tired. I've done my church thing. This church was built on my back. Well, we're thankful for you. Right? You have served, and we do appreciate it, but your job isn't done. Christian hearts find ways to encourage others. Maybe say, I wouldn't know how to encourage someone. Yeah, okay, I get it, but how do I do it? Well, look at Paul's pattern here. It's really simple. So Paul is a friend. He's a friend to this church. They know him, so he encourages them with, with friendship, with, with partnership. I mean, certainly Tychicus is encouraged when the Apostle Paul says, hey, you're my man. I want you to take this to, to these beloved Christians in Ephesus and Colossae. I want you to do it. So, so he's encouraging him with his partnership. I mean, throughout this whole letter, how does Paul encourage the Ephesians? But with the gospel of Christ. I mean, he reminds them over and over and over of, of what the gospel means for their here and now. I mean, if you don't know how to encourage someone, encourage them in the gospel. Encourage them to walk worthy of their calling, as Paul does throughout this letter. I mean, Paul also, he, he lifts their eyes above present circumstances. How, how easy it is for us in our suffering to only see the wave that's over us at the time. And so we can encourage others by saying, I know it's hard, but, but let's step back. God is for you. He's not against you. He sent his son for you. He, he, he's not punishing you. He's not angry with you, right? We can, we can lift eyes above the present circumstances or, 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 or point eyes behind the scenes, right? Behind a frowning providence, there shines a face of grace. There's an old hymn. I'm, I'm misquoting it. I would sing it, but I can't. But, but so frowning providence, so you think, why is this happening to me, right? Behind all, all frowning providences, all suffering, there is God's face that is only full of grace and smiling towards you. And so it's for your good. And so Paul encourages with lifting eyes above present circumstances. I mean, Paul encourages with prayer. He's praying for them. I mean, you can encourage others by praying for them. Remember last week with spiritual warfare, prayer is a way that we wage war against Satan. And so encourage others by praying for them. Pray, pray, pray. And then lastly, Paul encourages with with this letter, doesn't he? He sends a letter. You can send an email or a text if you want, but, but send a correspondence and say, hey, I'm thinking about you today. 
I want you to be encouraged. And so Paul encourages other Christians. And as Christians, we are called to follow Paul's example, to encourage one another. Well, then let's look finally at verses 23 and 24, this, this last section, these last two verses, where we find Paul's final words to the church at Ephesus, his final blessings. Let's look there at verses 23 and 24. In these final two verses, Paul closes with two specific prayers for the church. So he wants them to know what he's praying for them. He's done that throughout the letter, but here at the end, he wants them to know what he's praying for them. And so in these two closing prayers in this benediction, he mentions themes that have actually run throughout the entire letter. And so he's just reminding them what he's told them already. So notice there in verse 23, verse 23 begins, peace be to the brothers. And then notice how verse 24 begins, grace be with all. And so these two words, grace and peace, right, they've been throughout the letter, but they actually are how Paul started the letter also at the outset. So remember, all the way back in chapter 1, I think it's verse 2, right? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, here's what he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And these two themes, the themes of peace and grace, have run from beginning to end. And so Paul, at the end, is just reminding them what he's told them throughout this whole letter. So there in verse 23, says, peace be to the brothers and to the sisters, So peace be to the believers there in Ephesus in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so his final prayer is peace. Peace be to the brothers and sisters. And so his prayer is is that the the Christians there would have peace. And as Paul's made clear throughout this letter, this is a prayer for gospel peace. Right? Paul's made clear throughout this, this letter that through Christ in the gospel, men and women have peace with God. And so he's praying, peace be with you. The peace that comes by way of the gospel alone. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 14, he, he says, Christ himself is our peace. And so Paul's prayer is that the Ephesian Christians might know that they have peace with God. And so if you're, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you should hear that the gospel message is a message of peace between you and God who created you and sent his son to save you. Apart from faith in Jesus, you have no peace with God. You don't. You don't, apart from Christ. But in Christ, peace with God is available to you. You can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. The gospel is a message of peace. You were made to be at peace with God, but sin and rebellion, yours and mine, have separated us, have alienated us so that we don't have peace. But the gospel is a gospel of peace, and praise God that it is. And so Paul's praying for gospel peace, but it's also a prayer, isn't it, of relational peace. The peace promoted by the gospel extends farther than only peace with God. It includes, in addition to peace with God, peace among brothers and sisters. And so as those who believe the gospel, those who have peace with God, we also have peace with God's people. And so that's also what Paul's praying for here. The gospel of peace brings peace between God and man, as well as peace between men and women. So between the Jew and the Gentile. But people that are different, ethnically different, racially different, gen- different, in the gospel, differences are united. The two become one. And so the gospel of peace is seen in a unified body of believers. And so Paul says, hey, church at Ephesus, I pray for peace. Peace, would you be a church at peace with one another? So that's his prayer. He continues there in verse 23. Not only peace, but he mentions in love with faith. 
in love with faith. So not only peace, but love with faith also. So again, both of these blessings, love with faith, Paul prays for the Ephesians, are tied to all these expounded throughout the letter, all that's come before. And they're, direct, they're directly connected to the blessings that have come through this gospel that he's preached to them. Just as grace and peace are reminders of Paul's initial greetings, so also love and faith. So back our early in chapter 1, verse 15, Paul makes a connection between faith and love. And he says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Do you see that? I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. It says all the way at the beginning, the introduction, chapter 1, and it's almost as though Paul here at the end, in concluding his letter, can think of no better prayer or blessing to leave them with than to remind them of all he's told them. To remind them of the basics of their Christian faith, which involves love for the brothers and sisters, love for their fellow Christians, and faith in Christ, who is the source of all these blessings. Notice he says, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul, in wording the benediction this way, cements the connection between faith in Christ and love for the brothers. And so just at the introduction, where he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, here at the end, the same twin divine source of blessings, God the Father and God the Son, or the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul again locates peace and love with faith as originating from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is to say that apart from God's intervention, apart from God's activity in the gospel, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we could not and would not know peace or love. It's all flowing from this divine source, from God himself. And because of that, because God alone is the source of these blessings, Paul, in his closing prayer, is asking that God would grant the Ephesians more and more of these things that he's already given them. That's his prayer for them. Which leads finally to verse 24, Paul's final prayer. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now, now, now there's, there's some differences of translation here. So that was the ESV. The, if you have the NIV, it reads this way. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Or if you have the King James, grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And so, so this, this love incorruptible, the, the ESV translates love incorruptible, the NIV says undying love, and the King James says love with sincerity. And so, so what, what, what is the, what, what is, people get caught up on the meaning of love here. What is, he, what is love, what, what's he meaning to convey here? So literally it reads undying love or love with immortality. So, so the, the, the picture is love that never ends. Okay, so, so I think that's the, pic, that's the picture here. And so most translations put that word immortality with the scripture of love. So it's either incorruptible love or undying love or immortal love. Now several commentators are going to disagree and say it doesn't even belong connected to love. It, it, it belongs connected to grace at the beginning. I don't think that's, that's right. I tend to think Paul is talking about love and he's describing the love. And I do think that specifically Paul is talking about the love that the Christian has for Christ. I think that's what he's saying. I think the ESV is right when it says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. I think he's talking about the love with which Christians love Jesus. I think that's his point. He's pronouncing a blessing on those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible or undying or immortal love. And I think Paul's point is to highlight the nature of the Christian's love. 
And so he's saying, hey, we love Jesus with love incorruptible. I don't think he's saying, this is what some people say, that the problem with interpreting this way is they say, well, you're putting a qualification on, on receiving God's grace. So they say, well, no, that, that can't be what Paul means because he's saying, he would be saying that, that grace only comes to those who love God with incorruptible love. And so they say that's not what he means. I think that's what he means. And I think his, instead of highlighting a requirement, I don't think Paul's saying grace only comes to those who love Jesus with incorruptible love. Instead, I think he's saying grace be with all of you. You know who you are. You're the ones who love Christ with love that will never end. You who love Jesus with incorruptible love. I mean, after all, throughout this letter, Paul has spent the entire letter talking about love, so God's love for them, Christ's love for them, their love for one another. Think about husbands' love for wives. So he's talked a lot about love, but he's never specifically said their love for Jesus. And so here at the close, so as not to leave it out, Paul closes reminding them and encouraging them regarding their personal relationship with Jesus. You are his people and you love him. You have a relationship with him. And your love for him will continue forever because of what he's done. Not because of the, the measure of your love for him, but that's just the nature of those who have received the grace that's been given in Jesus Christ. Love with incorruptible love. It doesn't fade when circumstances don't go the way they're supposed to. Or as time progressive. Love for Jesus that is in response to the grace that's been shown is love that will never be put out. It'll never be, be put out. And so all that I have, grace and peace, comes from the Father through Jesus Christ. And so my appropriate response, my fitting response, as I think Paul is saying here, is love to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no better way for him to conclude this letter by focusing the Ephesians on their call, their privilege, their responsibility of loving Jesus with love that will never end. And so as Paul concludes his letter this way, I think it's right for us to conclude this final sermon from Ephesians in a similar way. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And so brother and sister, as we, as we leave this letter, the call is that we might love him with love now that will continue forever, love that is incorruptible, come what may we are set, our hearts and affections are set on our Lord Jesus Christ. God has provided all that we need in Christ. Therefore, as his people, we live worthy of the gift by loving Christ and living for him. Let's close as we pray.